So, welcome to our final week looking at the Holy Spirit. And we've covered a lot, haven't we, in the last few weeks, but it feels like we've just scratched the surface, if you like, of this massive, massive topic that is the Holy Spirit. And gaining more knowledge is nothing unless we actually respond to what God is saying in our lives. And so after I preached, there will be opportunity, time, space for us to do business with God in whatever way we feel comfortable. I know I, at this point I'd be thinking, oh my life, what's she going to make me do? It is this, the time after the service will be for you to spend time with God in whatever way you feel comfortable. But we'll, I'll talk a bit more about that later. So today we're only going to look at a few verses, but ones that if we're really going to put these verses into practice, they would revolutionise our Christian life and enable us to live in the way that God always intended us to live. And um, so we're going to read today from Ephesians 5, and I'm going to start at verse 15, but where I'm going to start seems like it's in the middle of a conversation, a middle of a discussion that Paul's having with the Ephesians uh, uh, Christians. And that's usual in Paul's letters. What he does Normally his letters are about five or six chapters long and the first half of the book is usually theological and then the second half of the book is usually how are we going to put that theology into practice? How are we going to do that on a day-by-day basis? So in the beginning of chapter 5, sorry, in the whole of Ephesians, Paul is talking about who those Ephesian Christians are in Christ. And at the beginning of chapter 5, Paul's talking about living as children of light. And he's been reminding them about some of the behaviours that maybe are not suitable for people who are children of light and some of the behaviours that he wants them uh, to practice. So let's start reading at verse 15. So this is Ephesians I think, this is, I think there's a slide, not the whole text, but just the scriptures, I think. So, uh, this is Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 15, and we're going to read till verse 21. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is the verse that Steve mentioned before. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs amongst yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks to everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. So, the first thing we're going to look at uh, today 
is this, uh, we're going to focus on uh, verse 18 to 21. The first thing Paul says, don't get drunk on wine because that will ruin your life. Now, we say, okay, here's Paul, add it again, saying things that we can't do. Why does Paul make such a big deal about not getting drunk? Because in Jewish literature, getting drunk was a metaphor for folly or foolishness. So the, the Jews would be thinking, getting drunk, that's a foolish, foolish thing to do. It's a it was a metaphor. But to the Ephesian Christians, in the Greek world, getting drunk was part and parcel of a religious experience. They thought that getting intoxicated brought inspiration, and if you brought inspiration, that, made, that brought you nearer to the gods. So they were doing all they could to get nearer the gods, therefore they were trying to get drunk. They thought that wine was a stimulant to make them at their best. But any medical person, I'm sure, will tell you that alcohol is not a stimulant, but it's a depressant. And what it does, it depresses the highest centres in your brain and, the, and those are the centres that give self-control, wisdom, understanding, the ability to discriminate right from wrong, judgement, balance and the power to assess. Now, have a think about that. What does that remind you of? Self-control, wisdom, judgment. If we have, I'll, I'll, I'll make it clear in a minute, but if we, have, if we have any doubt that this is true, all you have to do is see a very drunk person trying to walk in a straight line. You can't do it, can they? Why do we make such a big deal about drunk driving or drink driving? Because if you are drunk, you don't have the ability to assess a situation on the road correctly. So, he wants the Ephesian Christians to be finding not their fulfilment in alcohol, but to be finding their fulfilment in God's spirit. Not by pagan means, but by the true and living God. He's saying, don't go that way. Be filled with God's spirit, not a man-made spirit. Paul is not trying to be a party pooper here. He is not saying, don't enjoy having a drink. He is saying, instead of you being under the control and power of alcohol, be under the control and power of the Holy Spirit. Where alcohol impairs people's ability to control themselves, one of the fruits of the Spirit is what? Self-control. Where alcohol stops a person having sound judgment and wisdom, the Holy Spirit is the source of all wisdom and understanding. So as we live in the power of the Spirit, 
we live under his control and not an external impersonal force we become more human because we become more like what God always intended us to be and what is that we become more Christ-like so Paul's exhortation to the Ephesians don't get drunk on wine which uh, in the NIV it says which leads to debauchery in NLT it will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Don't be controlled by the alcohol. Be controlled by God's Spirit. Because as you are controlled by God's Spirit, all the things that God wants for you, wisdom, wisdom judgment, self-control, they are the things that God will be implanting in your life. Excuse me. So, we talk about being filled with the Spirit a lot, but what does that actually mean? And how and when does that happen? Now, this is where, where theologians disagree with each other. Different denominations will majorly disagree with each other. And you might think I'm dodging out of it this morning, but... I don't think whether there is second blessings or anything like that, or whether it being filled with the Spirit is a dramatic experience, all of that, I don't think is, I think all those are side issues. I think this morning, all that debate needs to focus on the important things. What is someone's like life like if they are filled with the Spirit? Some talk about being, uh, some talk about uh, second blessings when sometime after conversion a person is baptised in the Spirit. Some talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit as a dramatic experience with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And it can be like this. But others say, no, be wary of any emotional response. Things that I mean, sorry, I'm not explaining myself very well. My, 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 my brain is mush. But we know that the Holy Spirit cannot be put in a neat box. We've, we've, heard, we've found that out, haven't we? And we want the Holy Spirit to, to act in a predict, predict, predictable way because it makes us feel safe. We want to have him packaged to know that he always deals in this way because that makes us feel safe. It doesn't take us out of our comfort zone and we can tick it off. Yeah, we know. What I've come to learn through looking at this that is that the Holy Spirit might choose to work in different ways, in different people, and have a variety of different expressions within his people. And it's up to him, not up to us, to choose how he will manifest himself in someone's life.
Now, I'm sorry if you, if you think that I've ditched out of all the ins and outs, but at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit is God, and he will do what he wants in the way he wants to. But also, secondly, I think it's really important for us to remember this morning, in, the, in Scripture, it tells us that all... Christians have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. We've heard this before. But Paul says this in Ephesians. All Christians have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. Okay? So Ephesians 1, verse 13 to 14, it says this. When you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit who he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. The Holy Spirit is a guarantee. A guarantee of every Christian's inheritance. A guarantee. Now, for those of us who are not quite sure what guarantees are, when you buy something that costs quite a bit of money, like a house or a car or a holiday or anything like that, you will be asked to pay a deposit. And um, it, the deposit means that uh, you promise that you will complete that purchase. It says it to the person that you are buying it off, that you are serious about buying it. Okay? And in the same way, the Holy Spirit is God's way of saying he is serious about giving us all the spiritual blessings that are in Christ. He's serious about it. He's saying, you know what? You can trust me to fulfill my obligation to you. So the Holy Spirit is like a deposit uh, uh, or a, a guarantee in, in, uh, inside of us. If you're not into, depo uh, into guarantees, if you're more romantically minded, a similar example would be when a couple gets engaged. When Simon proposed to me in July 2008, he gave me an engagement ring. What did that signify? That was a promise that he was serious about marrying me. It was a promise. I'll follow this ring up with a wedding ring. Now, I know that both of these analogies do fall down. <laughs> People get engaged and break it off. People pay a deposit and then they don't go through the sale. But God always keeps his promise. So being filled with the Spirit is not a way of saying, just make sure you've got enough Holy Spirit in your life or your salvation is in doubt. It's not. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. It is not dependent on our performance. Praise God. Because if it was, we would be, we'd be, it'd be like this all the time, wouldn't it? So every Christian has 
the Holy Spirit. But more than that, every Christian has the Holy Spirit in all his fullness. And this is what's really, really hard for us to understand. We have the whole of Christ. Now that's really confusing, isn't it? In view of what we're talking about today, being filled. Why do we need to be filled if we have, if we have the fullness of Christ anyway? How can we possess the Spirit in all its fullness, but then be exhorted to be filled with him? It's confusing, isn't it? The wonderful thing is that God does not portion out his spirit and give it to us in chunks. When we become a Christian, we have all of God's spirit because we become in Christ. We don't have a little bit of an arm or a bit of an neck. We have all of his spirit which is an amazing, amazing truth. But could a more accurate assess assessment be that we have all the spirit, but he doesn't have all of us. He doesn't have all of our affection. He doesn't have all, you know, everything that we've got. Are we content to just want enough of the Spirit to be sure of our salvation. But then the rest of life, we want to do on our own. We know we've got the Spirit, fantastic. The Spirit is a deposit, fantastic, great. But are we content just to have enough? In our, We think, right, I'll just have enough because I know I'm saved. Or... Do we have this desire to experience more of him in our lives in a day-to-day, moment-by-moment basis? Do we really, really want that? Or do we want enough to be comfortable with? I know I do sometimes. I think, yeah, 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 that's enough, that's enough, that's enough. Yeah, don't go over the top, Lord. That's enough. And another thing, I'll tell you, there's lots of confusing things this morning. Another thing that can be a bit confusing is this phrase, be filled. Because in English, we fill up something that is empty, like a glass or a kettle. But in Greek, the word for being filled is pleiru. And it, has, it does have this, the sense of cramming a net full of stuff. But it's also used of wind filling a sail and taking a ship along, right? Or it also can be used for salt permeating flavour into a joint of meat to preserve it or flavour it. So it's not empty to full like we think, that we think of it like filling up your car with the, your, your light goes on in the car, you get to the petrol station, you fill up your, pet, your car, you've gone from empty to full with petrol or diesel. It's not like that. It's in the sense of wind coming to fill a sail and taking that boat 
to where it wants to go, which is a lot different, isn't it? It's a lot, lot different meaning. So our English translation and our understanding of what be filled with needs maybe a little bit of adjustment. Another thing to note is this phrase, be filled, is in the present imperative tense. So really, what it should say, or what you should read is, go on being filled, or be being kept filled. It's a conscious continuation. It's, it's something that's happening all the time, a day-to-day experience. Imagine, taking this with the sail analogy, if you've got a rowing boat, <coughs> if you've got a rowing boat and, you, oh, and you've got a, uh, you have got a sail, if the sailor doesn't put his sail up and allow the wind to take it, he can drift, can't he? And that sometimes can happen to us, can't we? You know, we can feel we're a bit drifting. But when the sail is up, the wind takes control of the boat and takes it where it wants. The sailor has to put his sail up. He has to, he has to, he has to be continually being in the way of the wind. So, do you see the comparison? We need to be kept being filled in order to be effective. Another thing to think about this, this command, it's not a suggestion, it's a command, is that it's in the plural, and we don't get that from our English reading. It's addressed to the whole Christian community at Ephesus. It's not just the leaders, so he's not just talking to the leaders, He's not just talking to people who have got particular spiritual gifts. He's talking to everyone who is in Christ. Everyone who is in Christ. But lastly, it's also in the passive voice. Let the Holy Spirit fill you. There's no uh, technique or formula to learn. There's no special incantation or words to say like the, like the pagans in Ephesus would have been doing. But it only happens as we willingly submit to him. It's us saying to the Holy Spirit, have your way with me. Now they are scary, scary words. Have your way with me. Keep on filling me. Be the wind in my sails today, Lord. Those are the scary words, aren't they? We're tempted often to rely on past fillings. To remember times when we knew we were filled with the Spirit. When we, oh, do you remember that time? And I was so full of God, and I was doing this, I was doing, and we hark back to that, and we remember it, and we think, oh, if only, if only it was like that, or we think about the church, and we think, oh, do you remember when, you know, there was people filling the balcony, and, 
you had to come at half past five to get a seat for the evening service, and and uh, Derek does obviously, and uh, and we hark back to and we hark back to ourselves, and it's good to thank God for those times. On the other hand, sometimes we spend our time and energy looking forward to future fillings, and we think if only the Spirit would come on us, then we'd do this or that. Lord, I'm going to wait till, I'm going to wait till you come on me, and then when I'm filled, I'm going to go and do this for you. I'm going to go and do this for you. And we look forward to it, and we're always looking at what God will do in the future. And that's good to think, to be expectant about God, what God will do in the future. But if we spend all our time looking back, or looking forward, what we do is we miss what the Spirit wants to do in and through us now. Or today. We miss it. Now, if we consider Jesus' words in John 15, verse 5, he's, he's talking about, you know, I am the vine, you are the branches. It says, Without me, you can do nothing. Now, we might think, hmm, is that true, Lord, really? Because, you know, I I feel probably I'm doing all right. I can do quite a lot. You've made me very gifted. You know, thank you very much, Lord, because you've given me lots and lots of gifts, which I'm, I'm using to your glory. But look at what proceeds... Without me, you can do nothing. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Now notice that Jesus doesn't say, you will do miracles, or you will have the gift of knowledge. (coughs) That might be the case, but Jesus is talking of a day-to-day, moment-by-moment process of being kept filled with the Spirit in order to produce the kind of fruit of the Spirit that we know in Galatians 5.22. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Look at this, um, another imperfect analogy, I'm sorry, but look at this glove. Now, the glove is useless um, on its own. If I'm going out this, uh, this evening and my hands are cold and I say, oh, I'll be all right because my gloves are at home. And I'm sat in, we're going to a living event tonight, I'm sat in the church minibus, my hands are freezing but my gloves are at home. And I'll be saying, oh yeah, yeah, it's all right, I've, I've got my gloves are at home. It's not going to fulfill its purpose to keep my hand warm only as the hand controls it, right? So the moment it starts doing its, its best work, the moment that I put my hand in the glove and it starts to work and it starts to have its purpose. But how often do I do this with God? 
God puts something on our hearts, maybe a task to complete, and we accept the assignment, we say, yes, Lord, you put that on my heart. And then what we do, we do this, and we try to, we, we're running around trying to do everything in our own strength, when really, the only time we're going to be useful is when we put our hand in the glove and let God use us. It's a ridiculous, it's a, it, I know it's an imperfect analogy, but it's, can you, can you see how, what God is saying? The Spirit is saying, Helen, why are you doing all this in your own strength? Keep being filled by me. Let me be the wind in your sails. Which leads us on to what we might call the manifestations of the, of the fruits of the Spirit. What does it look like? if someone is filled with the Spirit of God. And you might be a bit more surprised at the ordinariness of it. Paul has already talked about fullness language earlier on in, in, in Ephesians. But then in verse 18, he gives two imperatives. Don't get drunk, we've already talked about why, and be filled. But now... In verse 19, he talks about four consequences of what this being filled uh, results in, but in terms of relationships. So let's read 19, uh, verse 19 uh, to 21. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs amongst yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, because in, no, in the normal letter, this, there would not have been a subheading, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In Greek, verse 18 to 24 is all one sentence. Therefore, being filled with the Spirit can't be divorced from relationships. If we're filled with the Spirit we will be harmoniously relating to God virtu you know, vert vertically, worshipping with joy and thanksgiving, but we'll also be harmoniously relating to each other horizontally, speaking and submitting to each other. And often we want to do one without the other. Often we are quite happy to sing praises to God, but we don't want to go and sort out... Um, a tricky relationship. And being filled with the Spirit says, no, both things, being filled with the Spirit, will have an effect on both the vertical and the horizontal. Someone who is drunk uh, might enjoy a, a good sing-song. But the person who is filled with God's Spirit will want to sing praises to God. And the wonderful thing, you know, is that God loves our praises even if we're tone deaf. So, you're all right, Steve. So, <laughs> so, the next time a Christian song comes into your head, if this is appropriate, you know, don't, don't be doing it if, you know, you're, you may be, like, sitting on the bus or, 
or uh, you know, the, the, your phone teacher is about to call the register and you suddenly start singing My Lighthouse or something. Uh, you know, be a be a uh, Liz is laughing. Be appropriate. But if it's appropriate, when a song comes into your head, sing it out loud to the Lord. Another thing Paul says is to be thankful. And the thankful person realizes they are enriched because of others. Now that takes humility, doesn't it? To know that your life is better because of someone else. And we need the Holy Spirit to do that because in our own strength, it is difficult to be thankful when we are facing difficult circumstances, isn't it? When we are suffering, when we are in pain, when we are disappointed or bereaved, it's the hardest, hardest thing to do. But have you ever felt low and suddenly into your mind pops a thought about God or a Bible verse and as you think on it and reflect on who God is, you feel something, something changes inside of you and you feel something welling up and it makes you want to sing praises to God. It happened to me the other week. I was, you know, you wake up, you think, oh, I feel a bit out of sorts today. And, um, but then this, this song, um, it's to the tune of Danny Boy, you know, I cannot tell why he whom angels worship. It's a, it's a, brilliant, it's a brilliant song. It takes you the whole way through the gospel. I was thinking, actually, so I might have it at my funeral. But uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a brilliant, it's a brilliant song. It's a brilliant, brilliant song. So I've, I, I, was, I, was, I was doing some housework, and uh, I, thought, I thought, oh, I'll, I'll find it on YouTube. And I found it on YouTube, and uh, I put it on as I was clearing up. And so, I'm finding myself, I'm going around the house, and I'm, I'm punching the air because, you know, because... You know, um, I cannot tell where, where all the nations will worship or, or something like that. But this I know. And I was, I was pounding the hours going, but this I know. And suddenly, my, from what I was and originally uh, fairly, oh, I feel a bit out of sorts today, was, no, 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 no. But this I know, he will return in splendor, I think it says, something like that. You know, uh, and it completely, completely changed my outlook. It completely changed my outlook. So praise God for who he is. When you're, when, but that is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit filling you. It's not dramatic. It's not going to make headlines in a Christian magazine. But it's just as valid and it's just as wonderful as the things that we think are massive things. Now remember, in the original Greek, verse 21 was all part of one sentence. Let's read it. It says, Further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the last true hallmark of someone who is being continually filled with the Spirit is someone who uh, submits to another. By nature, we want to promote ourselves. And often, 
we have mixed motives in wanting to exercise our gifts, don't we? Sometimes we want to promote ourselves. You know, I want, you know, I, I want to be faithful in showing my gift, because, and, but underneath we think, oh, this is going to make me look good. But the person being filled with the Spirit is ready to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I am aware this morning that my thoughts have been jumbled. I am very, very sorry. Uh, my, my, my head is... Whoa. But a question this morning. Are we hungry to be filled? Thankfully, that uh, has nothing to do with the quality of my sermon. Are we thirsty for him? Are we desperate to keep on being filled so his thoughts become our thoughts? His work, our work. His will, our will. Are we relying on past fillings or just hoping for one in the future? Maybe when we feel a bit more spiritual. For those of us who might be feeling defeated this morning, ask him, ask him to fill you with a new sense of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. You might be feeling a bit complacent this morning. You might be feeling, you know what, I think I'm completely fine. Don't think that you've arrived. There is always, always more of the spirit to experience. The, the spirit, it's a never-ending stream. We can never, ever get to the end of it. Remember, it's not the petrol gauge. It's not, it's not the petrol gauge. It's the wind in the sails. It's the wind in the sails. What does Jesus say? This I'll finish. Luke 11. Verse 11 to 13. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your, chil to your children, sorry, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him.